Welcome to another episode of the Ark and Anth podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and today we have a, another guest who is an expert on the study of not just people, but also their relationships with primates. So our expert today is Dr. Arajit Pal. Arajit, are you there? Yeah, Michael, I'm here. How are you today? Uh, I'm great, great. How are you? I'm doing very well, and um, I actually had two other experts recording with me earlier this week, who also study primates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, where are you calling in from today? Today I'm calling from Bangalore, India. And uh, how, how is it? How, how is Bangalore at this time of the year? Actually, throughout the year, Bangalore climate is uh, all about same only. And now it's uh, pretty good, actually. It's a great time to be here. <laughs> cool. And um, what is your current uh, job? Uh, do, you, do you have one job? Do you have many jobs? Actually, currently I'm working on one independent project, uh, which uh, I got funding from Liquid foundation oh, wow. it is about the evolution of two leaves hmm. in the simplest way you can say that uh, i come across about the idea uh, from one of my previous study what i have done in nicobar long tail during my phd time later on uh, after discussing with some of expert i come across that there are so many things we can do with this kind of information what we have observed in this Nicobar long-tailed macaque. Mm -hmm. So the, the Nicobar long-tailed macaques that you study, um, when was the first time that you were looking at these animals and their behavior? Uh, it was in 2013 mm -hmm. January. I first been there in Nicobar Island. Those are remotest island in Andaman Nicobar archipelago. This macaque only found in three islands. Mm -hmm. For, for people who have never interacted with or who have never seen these uh, Nicobar long-tailed macaques, can you describe a little bit about um, the environment that they that they live in sure. and, and what their behavior is like? Uh, these islands, those are totally tropical islands. And uh, there are around eight months of rain and pristine forests. And these are, I think, all over the world, one of the most undisturbed islands where still 90 Seven to ninety-eight percent forest are remaining. Hmm. So you can imagine the pristinity of this forest. And these macaques live inside the forest in high canopy, where trees average height is twenty to thirty meters. Wow! And it's very difficult to observe them or see them in forest. And there are some small villages near the forest, if you only, of a local tribe people. So sometimes this macaque come across those village and those village are orchard. Uh, during my PhD, also I observed this macaque, this forest age, because this is the only area where we can observe these macaques. And uh, for your information, mm -hmm. uh, this uh, macaques are only distributed in the South and Southeast Asia, only one species found in Africa. Okay. So generally, different species live in different habitat where there are uh, very common macaque people might know about. It is recess macaque. Mm -hmm. They live all over the Southeast Asia. And also there are some introduced population in Cryo Santiago. Mm -hmm. so, so these macaques are very familiar to human habitat. But when I'm talking about the Nicobar long-tail macaque, these macaques are totally forest dweller and they have their specific uh, need specific environment to live in where the interference of human is very very minimal <laughs> right and and do we know how many 
Nicobar long-tailed macaques are are alive in the wild today? Yeah, actually, it's a great question. Before 2004, we have no information about this macaque. Wow. So 2004, one short-term survey had been done from some scientists from India. They found that this macaque are distributors in these three islands. Previously, information was there that presence of this macaque, but there was no information available about their population, how many macaques are there, where their distribution. Mm-hmm. But again, in 2004, December, people might be aware that there was a devastating tsunami in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. which badly hit those Nicobar Island and destroyed a large number of habitat of those macaques. So later on, in 2009, another short-term study was conducted where they found that this macaque population are very much declining. So it was very concerned. Mm-hmm. But there was no long-term study. After the, It's a, about background, why we studied this macaque. After that, uh, our mentor and other scientists uh, and us, we discussed and we thought it is very, it will be great if we understand this macaque, how they are living and after tsunami, what they are doing. Mm-hmm. And after surveying all these three islands and most of the islands were remote and among them only two islands are human habitated. So we visited those islands, we did different kinds of survey with standard methodology and we found that this macaque population are recovering from their crash, but still hmm. they're in an unstable condition. Right. So how, how did the tsunami affect the macaque populations? And are the Nicobar long-tailed macaques coping in some way? Yeah. Uh, actually, what happened during the tsunami, there's a high tide that uh, affects the coastal habitat. And in coastal habitat, there are some kind of fruiting trees like pandanas. What are the major food source for this macaque? Mm-hmm. So habitat loss uh, ultimately affect on their population as well as directly due to tsunami also, uh, individual died. Mm-hmm. And uh, you ask about how they're coping out. It's also very much related to my PhD work. In my doctoral dissertation, my objective was to understand in such kind of dynamic environment, how this macaque are doing. Hmm. Particularly, I want to see the adaptation in this macaque differ from other macaques, as well as how these macaques are surviving by adopting different kinds of strategies. Mm-hmm. Suppose macaque living in a less disturbed habitat or near to human habitat, they might show different kind of reproductive output, means uh, uh, their birth rate, and the population growth that can be very higher. Mm-hmm. But when macaque is living in such kind of isolated small island, as well as so much environmental and catastrophic pressure are over them, we can expect that this macaque will be uh, uh, there, all this biology and their life history straight. Right. That means uh, this macaque, uh, how often they are giving birth, and their group size, how many individuals within a group are living, and the density and the closeness between two populations, all matters. Mm-hmm. Gen- generally speaking, how 
are the social dynamics in a in macaque populations? Uh, are these Nicobar long-tailed macaques monogamous? Are they like multiple male, multiple female? How how are the social and sort of reproductive yeah. relationships? Uh, if you see all macaques, they are these uh, hmm. social organization in all macaques are almost same. They are pretty conservative about multi-male, multi-female group. And this is called polyandrogynous society, where a male can mate with multiple female and a female also mate with multiple male. And and so I guess when it comes to um, maybe food and other resources and space, they are um, probably sharing a lot of things, right? Yeah, sure. For group living animal, any animal, they have some advantage as well as disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Advantage like they can, if they're together, they can observe their predator openly and also they can compete with other group and can get much more food than the other group. And instead, while they're living in a group, that time there is intergroup competition, which means competition between the individual who are within the group that get increased, what you have told. So always uh, you'll see there is a within group competition between these macaques. Mm-hmm. Apart from within group competition also, there is other competition that is between group competition. Wow. Uh, and, and so when it comes to um, the tsunami, how did that affect their reproductive behaviors? So uh, since we don't have any information about pre-tsunami context, in post-tsunami context, uh, we have collected data, and what we have found is, is this decovered macaque nowadays breeding polyphyletically, intervert interval also decreased, and their population structure is in each group. Means there should be a you know fixed number of male and female ratio within the group. Mm-hmm which ultimately increase their reproductive output. Right. But uh, in Nicobar Langtel macaque, what we have found, there are other closest uh, subspecies of this macaque. You can see the relative of this macaque also living in Southeast Asia. There are other nine subspecies. It's nine different relative of these macaques are living in Southeast Asia. Hmm. But what behavior this macaque have shown, apart from this conservative social organization, like living in a social group, those are pretty different. The competition between individual for food, as well as competition between male for mm-hmm. female mate source differ a lot. And uh, when it comes to the food, I'm curious to know from you, um, what kind of food are they usually eating? In Nicobar Longtail Makat's diet, the major foods are fruits only, mm-hmm. but apart from that, they also feeds on insects, moths, spider, as well as caterpillars. And sometimes we also have seen them to eat some lizards mm-hmm. or some geckos. Interesting. Uh, and, and earlier you mentioned that um, a big project that you're looking at at the moment, and it was funded by um, recently by the Leakey Foundation. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank first. you. <laughs> um, is, you know, is that they were using tools. Are they using tools for food or for something else? Nicobar long use tool for food as well as they use tool to clean their teeth. It's very interesting, actually. Hmm. The macaque have very good 
dental hygiene. <laughs> okay, um, that's that's interesting. And and what do the tools look like? Nicobar long time ago clean their teeth like how we do by flossing. So there they use both kind of tool. One is the natural available thread like structure tool like some grasses or some small stem or root or sometimes some fiber of coconut or pandanus mm-hmm. or some artificial tools object like some thread or some you know fishing net what they can get right. from the seashore uh, on monday i spoke to another primatologist and her name is dr erin kane okay. um she is based in boston university and she studies uh, orangutans in indonesia and uh diana monkeys in west africa wow. and i asked her if she had any questions for you oh and so she asked me a question would you like to hear it yes yes sure, sure. yeah okay so let's see what erin asked you um i would love to know if he like believed what he was seeing the first time he saw it or if he was like this must be some this must be like a one-off thing or like what his larger feelings about seeing that tool use was because it's so surprising that monkeys are doing that okay so arajit what what do you think about that uh, it's actually interesting you know when we go to the field we didn't have that time that much information about this macaque mm-hmm. even i never observe any tulius behavior in any other primates yeah so while they were using those objects that time i had no idea this is exact tulius behavior because in academia tulius have different kind of definition and people uh, also define it with different objectivity hmm. so after recording this behavior i discussed with my friends who were with me that there and i also after that uh, saw some other video and other picture of other macaques as well as primate using different kind of object so later on i classified it as a tool use yeah yeah so first time it was not that fascinating but later on when i was little confident that it was you know some uh, rare kind of behavior tulies or not but it is rare mm-hmm. so it was really very interesting for me that time yeah and those behavior happen in within a second and these are really very rare mm-hmm. while you are observing a group for suppose months or years actually i was there for three and a half years constantly so uh, first one year Uh, we are, haven't seen this macaque so closely because habituation takes some time lot of behavior is missed but later on when this macaque get habituated means uh, uh, while we were there our patient didn't affect their natural behavior that time mm-hmm. i observed this behavior and first uh, i was expecting little other behavior because as i told you in southeast asia other subspecies of this macaque means other relative of this macaque called macaca fascicularis fascicularis those macaques shown to use behavior means using stone stone to crack oyster or barnacles <laughs> in seashore i thought that i might see them to crack some oyster or another one thing this macaque also locally called crab eating macaque yeah. so i was expecting that i will see them to open the crab by some you know axe or hammer stone tool mm-hmm. but i haven't seen that instead of that i saw they use some leaf or some twig 
to clean those fruits and the sap and use also some thread or thread like yeah substance to clean their teeth interesting earlier you said that you know sometimes observing the macaque behavior can be quite difficult because you know they they have minimal contact with humans maybe maybe they're you know even avoiding contact with humans um and they hang out quite high in the forest canopy right yeah 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 so how do you um how do you observe the macaques like how do you overcome the the challenges oh actually it's a funny story before uh, the my exposure to nicobar macaque i worked in mainland india with rhesus macaque and bonnet macaque who are very much closer to human habitat mm-hmm. and presence of human doesn't bother them actually they sometimes snatch some food from you they mm-hmm. can in some temple they can you know jump over your shoulder mm-hmm. and sometimes you know scare you a lot but while after reaching nicobar island mm-hmm. i was uh, moving around all those area where we have heard that macaque might be for first few days or few week we only heard uh, their alarm call alarm call means while seeing some threat or human alert threat to any animals so they do some call like krr, krr. Mm-hmm. this are actually called also craw call uh, the sound like craw so only once in a while we used to see them just you know some swift movement over the uh, forest or the bushes mm-hmm. later on it took us a lot of time to understand where the group and where they um, actually living we call it home range I mean within which area each group is living mm-hmm. after that we selected three group which are pretty little bit closer to human habitat as it will be easy for us to follow them right but every night you know after coming from field i was very uh, very low i was thinking how to <laughs> complete the project how to collect the data yeah yeah it was in my mind <laughs> that time i read one paper about this macaque one from a book uh, now i'm i cannot remember that book but it was in southeast asia another subspecies of this macaque so where uh, the scientist who observed this monkey told that he took 6 month to understand that how many individual in a group and among them how many are male and how many are female mm-hmm. that time i thought okay still this is not 6 month and i am th- i am going to stay here more than 3 years mm-hmm. so okay i have time i got little motivated and i can started it <laughs> but yeah mm-hmm. initially it was it was little scary i can say <laughs> because nicobar is a remote island and once in a month only there are some ships from mainland india and once in two week you will get a ship from the from nicobar to the other big island where you can you know get little bit socialize and you can see some more people there otherwise that way nicobar is not that much easy to work with right so all all of that's really fascinating to me because usually i'm working in a, a lab are you interested in looking at any biological questions as well yeah actually my question was uh, i have some hypothesis and that hypothesis was based on the environment and uh, what was uh, and actually my question was 
that how a species react with its environment mm-hmm. means when environment is very dynamic then how it react when environment is stable how it react so i had information about other subspecies and other macaque species that they react that way in their respective environment mm-hmm. but i had no information about this macaque but i know their environment is pretty dynamic and always lot of climatic pressure catastrophic pressure as well as nowadays due to lot of migration anthropogenic pressure also affecting them mm-hmm. so i want to know that how this macaque living and surviving in spite of those much hmm. pressure yeah and so with the grant that you just got what do you hope that you're going to be able to do with the with the grant like what questions do you hope that you can answer when you're done with this project yes uh, previously i was working with reproductive behavior and the sexual selection means how the competition between different sex mm-hmm. and within sex but now i am working in completely different area it is animal cognition where i have some hypothesis like uh, if people have seen some primates they have seen this in zoo especially uh, the audience they might have seen this primate in zoos and other places so in zoos they will see that uh, this primate use some available artifacts or stone and other object to play mm-hmm. with each other and uh, play with them mm-hmm. and apart from primates also children if you see 8 to 18 month children they with they also play with different kind of objects or different kind of toys what we give to them first uh, uh, children with 8 months or 7 months they might if you give them some rattle or some kind of toy you see if even there is a handle they might not always grip it through the handle but later on with their development they will able to grasp this uh, uh, tools uh, grasp these toys properly and rattle it or there are some other kind of movement mm-hmm. like uh, pounding scrabbling you'll see so my idea is how slowly slowly uh, organism developed a idea about any objects and use it in a goal oriented way mm-hmm. so i thought if i observe some that kind of manipulative behavior mm-hmm. or some object play behavior what i have already seen in three macaque species all three are living in india among them two are endemic to india means only found in mm-hmm. southern india those are lion tail macaque one of the gorgeous macaque and bonnet macaque and another one is mm-hmm. rhesus macaque and you know are are these macaque species endangered are they at risk at all the lion tail macaque is a endangered macaque because this macaque only lived in western ghat and not only the all western ghat only the southern western ghat and few patches mm-hmm. of the southern western ghat in three indian state called karnataka tamil nadu and kerala so they are endemic as well as mm-hmm. endangered and bonnet macaque and rhesus macaque both are in iucn category iucn is a international union where we assess the population of 
each species and we decide that the species are in risk for population crossing mm-hmm. or not. So other two macaque, bonnet macaque and racist macaque, both of them are least concerned. I mean, currently we might not have to think about their conservation and all. But again, recently one study came up with 30 years data. It told that though bonnet macaque are very common and we can openly see them in their natural habitat, I mean the southern part of India, but their population declined more than 60%. Wow. So it's alarming. But still we haven't come up to the that stage that will declare them as endangered. Mm-hmm. And you know, what what are the main risks? Is it uh you know climate changing at the moment and becoming more unpredictable? Is it Maybe like human yeah, human factors? Uh, for a large species like macaques, climate change don't have this kind of direct impact. So indirect impacts are there due to the change of their habitat and all. Mm-hmm. But majorly here, it is loss of their habitat and increased uh, competition with uh, human being. Most of mm-hmm. them are anthropogenic. And so I know that you work a lot also in wildlife conservation. What sorts of work are you trying to do with your colleagues to try and raise awareness about this and try and limit anthropogenic um, you know, problems that face these animals? Actually, always when we go for some kind of conservation-based work, it's awareness come later. First, we go with, again, some specific objective to understand a species condition or an animal condition, you need to know how it's in it's doing, how it is doing in its own habitat. Mm-hmm. So for that, you have to do some sensors to get their number, and you have to see that their environment and how they are doing in their environment and how their productivity means how they are giving birth and the rate of the giving birth it is good enough or the population trend is declining. Mm-hmm. So I use behavior as a tool to understand how these macaques are doing in their habitat. And then we identify all those factors, what are affecting them, and along with forest department and local authority, we design some management plan and we implement it. Hmm. Okay. Here I have another guest that I had on Wednesday recording, and his name is Malcolm Ramsey, uh, based in Toronto, but he works a lot in Madagascar with like mouse lemurs. Oh. So he he wanted to ask you a question as well, and I'm gonna yeah, say this. Well, to be honest, mouse lemurs are some of the stupidest primates. Um, and so tool use is certainly not a thing that I encounter, but I find tool use super fascinating. And congrats on the Leaky Grant. That's really awesome. I think it's so fascinating to, um, to see primates doing these really interesting interactions. And I guess I, 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 one question, I'm not sure if I'm going to phrase this as well, but it could be more of a conversation is, is um, what role does tool use and other cultural you know, I, I hesitate to use the word cultural because anthropologists get really mad at me, but these kind of cultural behaviors, what role do they have in conservation? So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that different populations of these um, of these monkeys will use different tools or have different methods. And is that important in conservation planning to make sure we have a rich variety of these cultural behaviors? Or how would you deal with that? Actually, it's a great question. 
you know, uh, conjure uh, their tool use behavior and definitely some kind of different what you cannot see most often. But again, I talked about previously IUCN red list, where in IUCN animal are assessed and get their conservation status only after looking at their population status mm -hmm. as well as distribution. There, they don't consider this kind of uh, special, uh, it may be behavioral or it may, may be genetic mm -hmm. or it may be other environmental factors. Yeah. So I'm sorry to say that uh, it's difficult to incorporate these uh, different uh, characteristics in the conservation field, but definitely within a state or within a close society, you can push it a much to tell people that you see this macaque are showing this this macaque are showing this kind of rare behavior and if their population get extinct, we won't be able to see those behavior. Yeah. And apart from that, by understanding those behavior, we might get some clue, some trajectory how tools evolve even in mm -hmm. human. Yeah. In your conservation work or in your primatology work, what would you say are the, the biggest challenges? For conservation work, if you see the major challenge is even though after studying those animals, we can study those animals. First, I have told we have our questions. I go to forest, we go to forest, we study those animals, we understand the situation. But later on, you know, sometimes you might have to take some strict measure against the local inhabitants or you have to put some effort and also build up some uh, different kind of uh, mm -hmm. ideology to local people. So that uh, gets difficult when it's come to the implementation part, as well as with uh, sometimes there are some pressure like hunting pressure or, you know, habitat destruction pressures by local people, which you have to arrest, but scientists cannot do it. We have to, put effort together with local authority and we have to do it. Uh, again, you know, to stop all those things, what kind of effort we need, it's always difficult to put all those things together. Mm -hmm. It's happening, definitely it's happening, yeah. but it's happening very slow mm -hmm. rather than the destruction happening very fast the population declining very yeah. fast. Is this something that your your colleagues are all, you know, concerned about together? Like, does every is everybody really passionate about conserving the wildlife? Yeah, everybody. You know, if uh, I do some research with uh, evolution, but I use macaque as a model species, right? Yeah. So first of all, I <laughs> have to make it sure that these macaque are living in the wild, and I can later to study them. But mm -hmm. due to this kind of effect, if this population get crashed or something happen yeah. to this uh, species of subspecies, that will be very great loss for also the biodiversity as well as your research interest. Mm -hmm. And if you see conservation, is a different kind of fight what people, not only the uh, so-called experts, also the people who are passionate about environment and wildlife, they are mm -hmm. fighting every day. It's a social kind of, you say, social agenda or social movement we all are doing and we all are trying to put all our effort for that. So a small story I would like to say, uh, since you talked about this, mm -hmm. how disappointing and how difficult it can be. 
just uh, uh, one year back, I was also part of a project of elephant conservation, hmm. where we're talking about human animal interaction, mainly human elephant negative interaction. Nowadays, often you'll see that storm, that human animal conflict. I don't want to promote this term. Always this thing happened while human encroach or go enter to the other animal habitat or desperately interact with them. Mm -hmm. So while I was surveying those area, I found that within around five years, there is a huge number of human as well as elephant casualty in this area. So while I was interviewing those local people whose uh, family member or relative got um, unluckily killed due to those negative interaction. And later on also I found that how elephants sometimes got killed uh, due to the train accident or some other kind of electrocution accidents. It was very disappointing for me. And there's one year while I was collecting those data, I was thinking that how to overcome all those things. Uh, there is no, you know, path or no strategy I think of that time while I was working with this thing. So, okay, it's disappointing. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you have to go on and all the audience, I'll also request them and I'll tell them that they also all should come together uh, for this animal conservation. It's in maybe in the natural park or national park or just yeah. backyard of their house and and so um i, I want to ask you um what is your favorite part of the job that you do <laughs> it's uh, also uh, the simplest way if i say mm -hmm. i'm an evolutionary biologist i would like to ask some specific questions about human evolution and i would like to find answer from macaques as a, by keeping macaques as a model species but apart from that while I'm working with this wild animal, I don't work in lab or captivity generally, but though future I have a plan to work a little bit in captive animals, that's different. But since my major work in wild animals, I always uh, uh, like to put some effort for their conservation and to make sure that, okay, these animals whom I am studying also for mm -hmm. evolution and other way are living and at least surviving. Yeah. So those are the two different parts uh, of my you can say mm -hmm. this is the two different job I am doing currently. If I uh, if I met uh, Arajit when he was like a young boy, could we predict in the future he would become, you know, interested in in studying macaques and other animals? Uh, no, exactly, not specifically about animal, but. Uh, uh, from my childhood, even I had some that kind of, you say, interest about environment. And even my high school time, I was involved in some, in some other way, like I did some, I was involved in some street drama or some uh, debate where we participated to, you know, for environment and, you know, tree plantation, promotion, like that. Mm -hmm. Later on, that interest grown with those activities. And I studied my master in wildlife and conservation. While studying that, I come across some literature about animal behavior. And that time, okay, from that time, I just dig further and further. And finally, I think I got interested about 
primates. And in India, those uh, most abundant primates are nine species of macaque found in India. Mm-hmm. And so they are the, you know, oftenly seen uh, primates. So I thought, oh, it's great, but it will be great if I can study this macaque to understand, you know, my concept about society as well as later on I found this macaque population and decrying, they are in high risk. I also studied them to understand their ecology and to develop some management plans mm-hmm. of this. In, in the field of, um, you know, evolutionary biology and anthropology are there other areas of the field that you're really you know that you find really exciting that's happening nowadays compared to you know where the field was like five years ago what what are you what have you been most interested in besides your current project yeah actually frankly speaking i am very much interested about my current project only right now but apart from that nowadays it's a Really, they, this kind of studies on in increasing people are trying to put a lot of effort for that. And previously, if you say archaeology, people want to see in, from a different scope, anthropology, different scope, biologists are different, evolutionary biologists are, mm-hmm. are different. But nowadays, it becomes interdisciplinary. In, if you see in my project, I have a different scope like evolutionary biologists as well as evolutionary anthropologists and comparative psychologies. Right. So far from different disciplines, we have different kind of understanding about human societies or nature of uh, human behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So if we put all this together, then only we'll get the big picture. Yeah. And while you will put all this together, you'll uh, get some, you know, lane path or lane where you can work on and you can go further. And my current project also it's like that to put together psychology, anthropology, and primate behavior, code behavior together to understand the trajectory of evolution of human to live hmm. and its development. Are Nicobar long-tailed macaques uh, your, your favorite animal? Mm, actually, I don't want to be that biased, but yeah, <laughs> it was up to last one year. But now, you know... <laughs> Yeah, one, definitely one, of, one them. of them. Definitely one of them. <laughs> you know, what, what do you like to do in your spare time when you're not observing macaques? Uh, well, I'm not observing macaques. Actually, I'd love to, you know, go to try some, you know, local cuisine and food in mm-hmm. this area where I, uh, uh, you know, do the study. And apart from that, I always like like, like to talk to my friends and all those colleagues yeah. over tea, coffee, and some other things. Well, what are you, um, when you when you go out into the field uh, for, for long periods of time, what are you usually eating in the field? For Phil, it's also a little different than all the other, I think, you have interviewed. Because in field, I was there with another two of my colleagues, Partha and mm-hmm. Abdul, and we all used to cook by ourselves. We didn't have any field assistant. What, uh, which actually feels all the other, uh, in generally in doctoral research, uh, people receive some field assistant who make a little bit help to collect their data as well as always to be with them in the field. But in case of ours, due to some money constraint, and since that was a remote area where only tribes people are there, we didn't have any field assistant. So morning, early morning, we used to cook something and we backed it and five o'clock at the morning, we used to go to search for this macaque 
and again evening six o'clock is to come back and again cook and then you can feel like uh, you can imagine how tired we was and we used to sleep <laughs> yeah and you're cooking i guess you're cooking something very easy then yeah uh, it's always some you know you can cook something quickly and in india there is one recipe called khichdi where you can put all those vegetables and rice together along with some dal and you can boil it and have it huh. so that was our major menu for maximum days and apart from that the processed maggi we survived a lot of time with processed food processed oh, food yeah processed food sounds uh, sounds good sounds delicious <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's still that is um before we go i like to ask every guest if they can come up with a hashtag for the episode i think it can be hashtag move with macaques move with macaques yeah i think my maximum days in last 6 7 years i just moved with them <laughs> so i think it will be nice. excellent well, with them. yeah well yeah. that's a great one uh, hashtag #move with macaques if if people have listened to this interview with you and they want to ask you any questions or they just want to follow your work going forward can they find you somewhere online yeah they can find me on twitter arjit pal amazing is there anything that you feel we haven't covered already that that you wanted to talk about do you have any closing messages for the listeners i'd like to tell them apart from this uh, our specialist evolutionary biology study in conservation uh, they might sometimes goes to some primate habitat country uh, to and they can see those macaques and other um, primates mm-hmm. in very close by to their vicinity and i would request them not to feed them not to interact with them closely because by feeding them it can be harmful for those macaques or those primates as well as for the human being yeah and think about something uh, all every day uh, about how other animals are doing and try to do something for them hmm. that's uh, yeah really nice messages So listeners, if you want to read more information about Arjit's work or you want to find out more about all of our previous guests, then go to arkananth.com. You can also find new episodes of the show coming up on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find podcasts. Um I usually post new updates on the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. Uh I really hope that everyone has enjoyed this whole week of primates. I also want to say thank you to all the patrons of the show who keep the show going with their support. If you want to also become a patron then go to patreon.com/arkananthpod. Arjit, thank you so much for being a guest on today's episode. Thank you Michael, thank you for having me. And thank you all the listeners. Yeah, and I hope that you can uh, come back on the show sometime, okay? Yeah, yeah. See. You. <laughs> um okay, <laughs> listeners, I'll have another episode out for you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye everybody. Thank you.